You're listening to the Grow Your Own Food Podcast, a show dedicated to helping you grow fresh fruit, vegetables, and even grains in your own backyard. In every episode, you'll get growing tips, recipe inspiration, and more. Ready to get growing? Then let's jump in. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 76 of the Grow Your Own Food podcast. I'm your host, Shauna Smith, and today I am going to be talking about all the benefits that you get from eating a seasonal or local diet. So I know that this podcast is all about growing your own food, but one of the best things about growing your own food is the fact that you end up eating a more seasonal diet. Now, if you don't know why that's such a good thing, that's why I'm talking about it in this episode. But before we jump into all that, first, a word from our sponsor. So call it whatever you want, seasonal eating, slow food, eating local, being a locavore. All of these things essentially mean the same thing eating fruits and vegetables that are in season and limiting your consumption of produce that's shipped from out of state or outside the country. It can kind of sound, well, okay, it can kind of sound like a fad, but there are a boatload of reasons why you should consider making a few small changes to start eating seasonally. And I feel like you can break down reasons to eat seasonal into two groups, personal and environmental. So I'm categorizing them that way in this episode and in the sister post for this episode on bee and basil, which I link to in the show notes. So, number one, the first reason, which is a personal reason, to start eating seasonally. In-season vegetables and fruit are healthier. I know healthy or healthier can be a subjective term, but the less time fruits and vegetables have to spend in transit, the more vitamins and nutrients they'll still have when you get them. Imagine it takes two days for a farmer in the next county from you to get freshly harvested carrots to you, but it takes two weeks to get them from, say, China, which is actually the world's largest carrot producer, or it was the last time I fact-checked this sister post, at over 16 million tons of carrots per year. The U.S. is the fourth largest producer of carrots at more than 1.2 million tons per year. That amount of time that it takes those carrots to get to you, there are so many vitamins and nutrients that are being lost to the process of oxidization, you know, that don't benefit you, that don't benefit your body. The longer a piece of fruit or vegetable spends out of the ground, not being eaten, the more vitamins and minerals it loses. And this is backed up by all kinds of scientific studies, which I have linked to in this blog post. So if you're looking for healthy, look for fresh, and fresh generally means nearby and in season. The next reason to eat seasonally, it tastes better. Out-of-season fruits and vegetables are picked in their country of origin way before they're actually ripe. That way, they'll travel farther and longer. They may be quote-unquote ripe when they get to you, like they'll be the color you expect them to be, 
but they won't taste as good as they would have if they would have been able to ripen on the vine. Several kinds of commercially grown fruit are treated with ethylene gas to help them ripen when they've been picked before peak harvest time. This includes tomatoes, pears, apples, bananas, avocados, mangoes, and more. Now, ethylene gas is not a poison. It's not it's not bad. It's actually something that these fruits and vegetables like actually give off naturally, you know, while they're sitting there in 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 your kitchen. So, it's not something to be afraid of. I'm not here trying to tell you that it's a bad thing, but I am telling you that it's not a a sort of natural way to ripen fruit. In fact, the gas has an aging effect on the fruit and causes its skin to ripen as it would on the vine, but a lot of times the inside of the fruit doesn't ripen as well or as quickly. So the inside flesh is hard or bitter, even if the outside of the fruit looks picture perfect like most of them do in the grocery store. And this is a really cool experiment that you can do at home to kind of prove this yourself. Ripen a green tomato indoors on a windowsill and then compare its taste to a tomato ripened on the vine and see if you can tell a difference. I have tried this before and I feel like I can definitely tell a difference between things that were ripened, not on the vine, and the things that were ripened on the vine. So when you get fruits and vegetables in season, especially when you get them locally from small producers, it's very likely that they haven't there hasn't been the need to expose them to ethylene gas. And that's because it's traveling a short distance and it's in season and it doesn't need help ripening. It's it's ripe, you know, they picked it when it needed to be picked or when it should be picked and the intent was for it to be sold within a shorter window. Personal reason number three to eat seasonally, it's cheaper. Have you ever noticed how strawberries are always on sale in June and July? That's because it's strawberry season. Like the grocery store didn't just like decide, hey, we should we should put strawberries on sale because they would go really good in summer desserts. No, that's because that's when strawberries naturally ripen. And so grocers need to move those berries before they turn to mush because they're getting a ton of them in from their suppliers. So they're a lot less expensive than they would be if you were to buy them in December. When things are in season, grocery stores have a tendency to buy more locally from local vendors, and that produce doesn't have to travel thousands of miles to get to the grocery store. So the cost of all that fuel and related transport costs doesn't get factored into the price that you pay at the grocery store, right? The grocery store isn't paying more to get that produce to you, so Thankfully, they hand the savings down to you and you get to save a few bucks on your container of berries. You can take advantage of this by buying in-season fruits and vegetables in bulk, cleaning them at home, letting them, you know, kind of dry, and then freezing them for use during the off-season. So let's say you walk into your grocery store It's late June, there's strawberries everywhere, and it has a sign on it that says, like, locally grown or whatever, and it's really, really cheap. Buy a whole bunch of them, and then before they can go mushy, clean them and freeze them, and that way you're still eating local even in the dead of winter. And thankfully, if you freeze them fast enough, if you freeze them as soon as you get home, 
hopefully they will have retained a lot of their original nutrients. Reason number four to eat seasonally. We have done it for thousands of years until fairly recently in human history, actually. Airplanes, trucks, and refrigeration are all relatively new inventions when you look at how long humans have been around. And that means that hundreds of thousands of years ago, people, all people had to eat was what they could grow in season. And this may have been beneficial to us health-wise. It may be what we are genetically programmed to expect at different parts of the year. If you look at the nutrient levels in cold weather crops, you see that they often have higher levels of vitamins and minerals than other fruits and vegetables that you'd get at warmer times of the year when your diet is more diverse and you have more choices available. Like, let me put this into a thought exercise. Imagine 500 years ago, it's winter, and the only things you can get to grow are dark leafy greens like spinach, kale, and chard, coal crops like broccoli and Brussels sprouts, and root crops like carrots, parsnips, and potatoes, right? Because it's winter. The vitamins humans need most in winter are things like vitamin C and A for the immune system, zinc, again for the immune system and balancing hormones thrown off by lack of sunlight, iron for energy during shorter days, and folate for regulating your mood during shorter, darker days. Guess which foods have the most of those things? Yep, leafy greens, coal crops, and root crops. It might be a coincidence. I'm just saying, Maybe it's not. Personal reason number five to eat seasonally, it creates flavor diversity. When you eat with the seasons, it's really kind of hard to get sick of one vegetable or another. Like by the time you're getting tired of asparagus in spring, it's stopped producing for the season. And I'm usually pretty thankful. There's only so much asparagus that I can handle. Same thing with eggplant. Usually by the time eggplant is out of season after about six to eight weeks, it's like, okay, I'm good without another eggplant for like another year. Thank you. That means that you can move on to, after asparagus, fresh crunchy salad greens, and then super sweet sugar snap peas, and then summery tomatoes and corn. You end up getting really excited for the new flavors each season brings, and it keeps you from getting bored or as bored with your diet, in my opinion. So those are all the personal reasons why it's good to eat seasonally. Let's move on to the environmental reasons. Number one, it saves on fossil fuel. There's just no arguing that. I mean, remember that example of when I talked about the local carrot farmer versus the carrots from China? Think about how much gas that farmer needs to bring those carrots to the farmer's market from the next county over. And then think about how much fuel it takes to power the airplanes or ships and refrigerated trucks across oceans and countries and states to bring those carrots if they were coming from China to your grocery store. I'm not saying that the carrots in your grocery store come from China. I'm just using this as an example. You could get, you know, maybe you live in Maine and your carrots come from California. Same kind of thing. California. Not as, far away, not as far away as China, but still pretty dang far away, right? So which one uses more fuel and thereby has a larger negative impact on the environment? Obviously, the stuff that's grown locally is going to have much less influence on the environment in terms of the amount of fossil fuels used to get to you. Now, 
It's often quoted that any given food item travels 1,500 miles to get to you, and this number is from a 2001 Iowa State University study, and it's been shown to be way, way oversimplified. Journalists like to use it a lot just to kind of make a big, splashy, you know, impact on readers. It really happens to only apply to residents of Chicago because the study was done on residents of Chicago. So that might not necessarily be true for you, but the truth remains that a lot of commercially grown or processed food generally has to travel well more than 100 miles to show up in your grocery store. So by eating locally, by eating seasonally, your food has to travel less and uses less fuel. The second environmental reason to eat seasonally It supports local farmers. Now, this might not seem like an environmental reason at first. In fact, that sounds like an economic reason. But in the long term, it is an environmental reason. When you go to the farmer's market, you're going to find more than one farmer selling any given item. If you can't grow all your food, if you have to buy your produce from a farmer's market or from the grocery store. They're going to sell different things. When you buy from a farmer or you buy the product at the grocery store that is committed to organic produce and humanely raised livestock, if those things are important to you, I recognize that they're not important to everybody. I'm just saying if those things are important to you, You're helping advance the overall stewardship of the land in your area by supporting that farmer or supporting that producer at the grocery store. When you support that farmer or that producer, that's kind of like voting with your dollars. We talk about, you know, they talk about that a lot in terms of, you know, why don't you see more organic foods? Why don't you see more humanely raised meats? Voting with your dollars is is a really powerful way to kind of make your desires in the market known. When you support those organic farmers, it means less pesticides in the earth, better animal welfare, less groundwater pollution, and, and more. Vendors at farmers markets have to adhere to the same rules as commercial producers, so they can't label their foods organic unless they actually are, and each farmers market requires their vendors to be licensed and enforces their individual rules at a local level too. If organic produce, fruits and vegetables not treated with pesticide or chemical fertilizers, is important to you, you can ask each vendor about whether their produce is organic. If they raise animals for meat, you can ask them about the conditions those animals are raised in. In my experience, this might not 100% be true for every single farmer out there, but in my experience, farmers who believe in good stewardship of the land they own welcome questions like these. They like to talk about how much they care and all the efforts they they put into growing organic produce or raising their animals responsibly. And you'll find that they're happy to tell you about it. They're proud to tell you about it and will sometimes even invite you to stop by and see for yourself their farm sometime if you seem super interested. I know that a lot of the local farmers and producers in my area, you know, their websites are like, We have days where we welcome people to come tour the farm. There's a chicken farm nearby where I exclusively buy my eggs from that that welcome you to come visit their farm so you can see exactly the conditions that their their chickens are raised in. It's, It's really pretty cool. So all of that said, all of those personal and environmental reasons for eating seasonal, 
you don't have to transition all at once to doing it. In fact, you shouldn't. It would be such a huge change from your normal routine that you likely wouldn't find it sustainable. So maybe just pick like one of these things that I'm about to talk about and try to do one of them differently in an effort to eat more seasonal. See how it makes you feel, what you learn, and whether it seems like something you'd be willing to do long-term. If it feels relatively painless, Try adding a second thing and then a third thing. Change is often best when it's made slowly, just like good food. So getting fruits and vegetables in season. Try shopping as much as you can at a farmer's market. Many communities boast thriving farmer's markets. Some large cities like Chicago even have multiple markets. The USDA website can help you find a farmer's market in your area. It's a really, really helpful resource. If that's not really an option for you, try growing your own fruits and vegetables. That's what this podcast is all about, and this is exactly what I do. If we can't eat it when it's in season, it gets dried, frozen, or canned so that we can eat it later. And that way, technically, we're still kind of, if not eating seasonal, eating locally. Shop seasonally. You can still buy your produce at the grocery store, Just make sure to buy it in season. If you're not sure what's in season, when, I have a link to a really great resource on the sister post for this episode. The fourth thing you can do to try and eat more seasonally is to join a CSA. CSA stands for Community Supported Agriculture. Many large corporations contract with local CSAs and offer discounts for their employees. You can also search for a CSA in your area in the link in the sister post for this episode. The company that I work for exclusively works with a CSA. If I needed to, I could get extra fruits and vegetables from them. I have definitely ordered a lot of meat from them because I know that they raise their animals humanely. So a CSA is a really, really cool option. Finally, You can try exchanging with a neighbor. So let's say you grow some of your own food and you have a neighbor who grows their own produce as well. You can ask if they'd be interested in exchanging extras. You know, like let's say you have extra tomatoes and they have extra cucumbers and you guys can kind of pass things back and forth. Or if they have extras and you don't grow your own food at all, let's say you live in an apartment, um, but you know somebody who grows their own food, maybe offer to like help them weed or shovel their sidewalk in winter in exchange for them giving you their extra produce in the summertime. So all of that stuff to say that eating seasonally is really, really good for you. And it's really, really good for the planet. It can help us form a lot of really great relationships in our communities, not just with our neighbors, but with our local farmers, our local, you know, meat producers. It can give more support to people who are trying to do things the slow way or the organic way or the humane way. 
it's a really, really good thing to kind of try to slowly do more and more. Again, don't feel like you have to go out and like crusade and change your whole way that you eat. It's just something that it's really great to start kind of thinking more and more about as you make those food choices at the grocery store. So I know this episode was a little bit of a lot bit, if I'm honest with myself, a departure um, from the stuff we really talk about, but I'm really passionate about it, if you couldn't tell, by all of the enthusiasm that I had during this whole episode. So I hope you'll forgive me um, for kind of going off about it. And I do have in the next episode, if you are curious about the topic of CSAs, I'm going to be talking about why you should join a CSA, even if you grow your own food in the next episode. So that's what I'm going to be talking about next week. I think CSAs are fantastic for a lot of different reasons. Like I said, I belong to a CSA even though we grow a lot of our own fruits and vegetables here in our home or at our home, I should say. So even if you grow a lot of your own food, it's really something that you should still consider and I'll be telling you why next week. But until then, that's it. Thank you so very, very much for listening. Oh, you know what? I forgot. Recently, I was reading one of my reviews and I came across somebody who said they were really surprised to hear me link um, USDA hardiness zones with first and last average frosts and how that was wrong. And immediately, my little pride gremlin, which was, you know, we all have a pride gremlin, right? is like, I'm not wrong, (laughs) like kind of popped up and was like, what? But it occurred to me that person may not live in the United States. If you don't live in the United States, um, and I'm my, my deepest apologies if I did not make this clear before when I was talking about USDA hardiness zones, if you don't live in the United States, no, USDA hardiness zones are not going to correspond with your first and last average frost. Absolutely not. Because USDA hardiness zones were developed in the U.S., they do correspond with first and last average frosts in the U.S., but they don't elsewhere. So that is a caveat that I should have thrown out there. Again, my apologies for that. I hope that hasn't led to any really horrible misunderstandings in terms of, you know, folks who are completely new to gardening um, and, and, and trying to figure out planting schedules for the first time. So thank you for letting me add that little addendum on there. Um, I look forward to talking to you guys next week. Thanks for listening to the Grow Your Own Food podcast. Visit beeandbasil.com for helpful how-to articles, images, and recipes.